Episode number four, where we will be talking about episode number four of The Expanse. How are we doing today, Eric? Uh, doing awesome. I have a whiskey and soda standing by, so. That does sound like you're doing good. <laughs> I don't have a whiskey and soda standing by. I'm just kind of hanging out in a basement in the dark. That's how we roll. Sometimes that's the libertarian life, just hanging out in a dark basement somewhere. I feel like that's, I feel like that's most of the libertarian life right now. I think it's most, <laughs> most people's lives right now. And like I said, I texted you right before we were doing this. They're, they're talking about the feds right now extending it to, what, 10 to 12 weeks of this quarantine? Yeah, stuff. yeah. It's almost like they're trying to crush the economy on purpose. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have to They have to do that so that what, Bill Gates can swoop in and save everybody. Right. And And definitely not buy any businesses for pennies on the dollar. That's definitely not what a billionaire is going to do. Yeah, I mean, that's not like that's how the ruling elite's going to handle the situation. I don't know. <laughs> only only time will tell. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of governments, wow, what a what a fun episode. This is actually one of the more action packed episodes. It started to feel like, you know, a, a space uh, drama all of a sudden. Yeah, that, a lot lots of action in this episode. I mean, things started popping off pretty things, pretty quickly. They started blowing up too. <laughs> Quite literally. So I almost feel like we got ahead of ourselves in the last episode, uh, but so where we find ourselves on episode number four is they're trying to convince Holden to roll over on his friends, you know, to save himself. And the, there's a line that this episode starts with that just fucking nails everything for me. Right. And it's because their 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 logic is, well, just lie so <laughs> that you can make all this go away. And then we can we can figure out the truth after the fact. We need you to lie just so like the, the problems stop. Yeah. And it's like if there's a fucking government, like a way to ca- encapsulate government, that's it. We we don't <laughs> yeah. know the truth, so lie about it until we can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, the old adage: uh, they will lie to you even if the truth would serve them better. You know, but it's just so second nature for them. Well, to me, it's it's it, it encapsulates so much of what we're going through right now. I've been over it and through it with a bunch of people because they're they're, they're touting a lot of numbers. And the mean, right. people don't seem to realize that the numbers are meaningless unless we were testing at least picked a few cities across the country as a sample and tested every single human being in that city. We have no ability to like know anything about like we, we none of the numbers mean anything unless you do that. Yeah, because they're telling they're purposely telling people not to fucking come out yeah. if you, unless you think you're going to die to stay home. Yeah, and there was the, a one interesting video where this guy is like on a subway and uh, he's got a mask on. Well, all of a sudden he pulls the mask down. He licks his fingers and then starts rubbing his fingers all over the pole. And then the caption down below is this man has coronavirus and he's willingly spreading it to others. I was like, really? You seem awfully sure. Are you aware that he has a uh, coronavirus? You've got the paperwork that shows that he's tested positive for it. Or is he just being a dick? <laughs> I mean, e- either way, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that, like I said, they're they're going to tell us that th- this is how bad things are. They're going to make the numbers look like the numbers look. Right. When there's no way to prove that. 
Yeah. It's like, it's one of the things that like frustrates me is that if you've been following this since January, like I have, the thing that you realize is that they've changed the way that they actually take or the way that they actually test a couple different times. Right. And it's, it's weird to see it ha- like roll out in each country where there's always a way to delay the testing. Yeah. So when you look at the, when you look at the curve, it's a hell of a lot steeper than I think it would actually be. Because all of a sudden there's an explosion. Well, it's because you haven't been testing in two months. And now you're testing. So all of a sudden it looks like, oh my God, this thing's exponential. But it's not really exponential. It's just the, tes- the testing method has changed. Or you started testing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, South Korea has actually developed a uh, a testing kit that takes about 10 minutes. Rather than not to tell you if you're positive for COVID-19. And uh, they're going to start production. And they'll have like 300,000 units per week. And uh, everybody, the the comments underneath it was like, well, you know, this was what Donald Trump should be doing and government should be doing. And it was like, well, it's precisely because governments are involved in healthcare is the reason why they can't do this. Yeah, no, that would have already happened fucking <laughs> yes. months ago if it <laughs> like if it were all private and, and not completely overregulated. Right. So, so, so. but. But that was mostly just an illustration of, man, like when this show gets it so fucking dead on, it gets it dead on. Yeah, exactly. We, uh, most of this episode is a big space battle as whoever, you know, blew up the, uh, the cant is now about to blow up the Doniger. Right. And as any government is, good God, the fucking hubris of the Martians. No no one could possibly could possibly damage them come on we're the we're the the best thing the martian navy's got going for us nothing could possibly take us down i think is is it the, the oh, it's almost the last it's the last episode or last words out of the captain before like they blow up the fucking ship when she says uh something to the effect of i i didn't i i didn't see this coming or like i didn't i didn't think we could be bested or something like that right and it's like yeah because that's how that works you're supposed to believe that you can't be beat <laughs> yeah the uh the normalcy bias can i just put in the thing. can yeah. i put in a sheer fucking hubris right here? <laughs> yeah sheer, sheer hubris that's but yeah normalcy bias. yeah normalcy bias will also uh take a hold there because uh, no one has ever defeated us before <laughs> or bad things have never happened to us before why would they happen now yeah does it feel like this entire episode is an allegory for what's going on right now <laughs> it certainly seems that way. Um, this episode came out in 2015, so. <laughs> oh, man. So there's a, a really good speech that I, I like where it is the guy who was actually doing the interrogations in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Him and Holden are having a conversation. And it, he's asking Holden, you know, so do you miss Earth? And Holden's like, if I missed Earth, I'd probably be there. Right. And And he's kind of throwing it back in his face. And this is a great illustration of like a true believer because he he's talking to Holden and he mentions how one of his uncles was an earther. And, you know, he says he told, he used to tell us stories about how you could, uh, you know, blue skies as far as you could see and, you know, oceans that looked endless. And then he gives him the whole rigmarole about how humanity is earth ruined that, you know, they have were given everything and they squandered it. And, in uh, Mars, they're trying to create that so that they can take care of it, essentially. Yeah. And it, it, to me, it's it's like it's it was such a good example of the true believer socialist mentality. Yeah. Like they look at you know people as having fucked up something, and so we need to recreate it and and make it perfect. Yeah, pretty much. And the uh, 
the the all knowing uh, thing that central planners can do, right? Because that, that's what everyone has to. It's like, well, obviously everyone is a dummy, but people who get elected government, they have to be smart, right? So, well, what I really found enjoyable was that the guy was um, get lecturing Holden on how Earth is just a bunch of freeloaders that right. expect everything for free from the government. And it was it was interesting to me in that, I mean, Mars is basically supposed to be like the utopian version of socialism, whereas the UN and Earth is kind of like the reality of socialism. <laughs> yeah, the more command control. <laughs> yeah. It, it it was it was just an interesting thing for me to muse on because I'm like you realize that you're the same thing when this is all said and done. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you have a better narrative that convinces more of your people to work, but at the end of the day, like you're just taking care of your people because that's what you do. Yeah, and it's still a wealth redistribution program by the government. Perhaps yours is, I guess, more better assembled. <laughs> <laughs> so. There's also some other interesting things. Uh, one of the, my favorite things that you see for, I think, the first time in this is the the gambling situation where Miller, yeah. uh, we'll jump over there. Miller is back on the Julie Mao case, and he's trying to hunt down this guy that was like his last lead, and the guy's dead. And so he's trying to follow the name that it pops up as. <laughs> and he ends up in this gambling parlor that the guy used to run. And he finds out that the guy whose name popped up is actually a guy who's performing what is their their big gambling thing that they do. Um, yeah. Have you have you come across that uh, later on in the series as you've watched it? Yeah. Um, you definitely see little callbacks to it here and there. Okay. So uh, yeah. for those listening, it's called The Slingshot. And I believe what they're doing is they're trying to – they're flying as fast as they can out around a sun and trying to use the sun's gravity to like – flip them back like to where they came from and usually they die <laughs> i don't know that anyone's <laughs> actually done it successfully it all the transmissions like essentially you you have a helmet cam of when they're doing it yeah um but it's once again it's it's hilarious because you see holden or not holden you see miller kind of walk in there and you know and say star helix and he's like, I don't care about the gambling. And what's hilarious is the guy who's, you know, oh, this, you know, this is all for all for show. At which point he says, not for game. Or I might hear about the game. I was like, oh, so you want in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm going to switch immediately. It's like, uh, well, let's see. Are you going to put some money down on this? Good odds. <laughs> it, 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 um, frankly, it cracks me up when he does it. Yeah. I'm trying to think, what are some of the other things that happen here? You still see a little bit of the... Uh, the Martian side of Alex. Yeah. You know, where, you know, he's kind of talking, he wants to be with his people and kind of misses the glory days of when he was a Martian pilot a little bit. <laughs> well, what's funny is that <laughs> there's a, there's some great dialogue between him and Amos. And as I said, Amos is my guy. And, you know, it, it, once again, we kind of get into the, the, I won't say the stereotypes, but like the, the realities of the differences in people where, where you know, Alex doesn't want to be the one that gets put under when the hole gets blasted in the hull of the ship and they need to conserve oxygen. Right. To which Amos is like, well, I can carry you. You can't carry me. So this is the fucking way it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. It's like, here's the reality of the situation, bub. <laughs> yeah. So essentially what ends up really happening is the Donager is attacked. They're boarded. And much of the episode is Holden. They're trying to get him. They're trying. The Martians are trying to force his escape. Because he's the only one that can clear the Martian name. He's the only one that knows what really happened. 
So when they were trying to get him to lie this whole time, they're now put into a place where he's the only one that can can absolve them right. of the situation they're in. Which is kind of interesting because at one point you say, you know, you want him to lie for you. And then now he was like, no, please go tell the truth. It wasn't us. And at which point he, he manages to u- utilize this as his bargaining chip to mm-hmm. save his save his people. Uh, this is also the first episode we get to see the Rocinante, though it is not called the Rocinante yet. Yep, right. Because they, they have the uh, the ship that they're actually going to be released on as a Martian ship. It is, I can't, I can't remember what the name, the name of it is, but it's 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 still weird for me to go back and see this episode and see how the whole thing <laughs> kind of <laughs> turned out, you know. There's the only one Martian guy who manages to get them on the ship and get them going. And he's he's the guy that was initially, you know, talking shit to Holden about how humanity destroyed planet Earth. Yeah. I, I don't does, does he actually die before the episode ends? I don't think he, I don't believe he makes it past the episode. Like, he's shot while they're actually boarding the plane, or boarding the ship. Yeah, if memory serves, he either dies at the end of this episode or at the beginning of the next one. I know I know that the very beginning of episode five, they I think they start with a... Or no, they, they end this episode. I think the actual yeah. ending of this episode is where they discuss... Like, some woman sees Miller's partner with a fucking steel bar through his chest. Right. And then tries to pickpocket him. Yeah. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah. And then the minute he, he like she tries, he wakes up and then she's like, oh, my God, I'll get help. I'll get help. And it's so fucking hilarious. Like she didn't care when he was dead. There's maybe something interesting in that. So even while they have their differences and like she wouldn't care about him as a dead person, but right. she does care about him as a living person. Yeah, which is interesting because at that point, it's just a corpse with some stuff in his pockets. You know? Yeah. You know, and maybe he can help you weather whatever you're going to be going through now. Yeah. <sighs> Good Lord. There's a in the beginning of the episode. There's a brief moment with Chris uh, Jen where she's sitting there with I think her grandson. Is that the idea? Or is it? Her, or he's got to be her grandson. Yeah, I think grandson. And they're talking about like they're watching shooting stars on the roof, and they're talking a little bit about oh well they're just rocks. Well, it's like well you know they're, when they're small it's okay, but sometimes they're bigger. Yeah, exactly. And oh, he's like, oh, you mean like the dinosaurs? Like sure. And then she makes a comment about, well, sometimes, you know, people throw them. And that's a, that's another issue. <laughs> yeah, very uh, reminiscent of uh, Starship Troopers, because that's how they find out what the bugs are doing, because they're uh, shooting uh, asteroids at, at Earth. Well, and what's also really funny is that the, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's a foreshadowing for something that actually is going to happen in the series way, way down the line. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Which is funny because when I've, I, it, that moment was, I thought, just kind of like a character building moment for uh, Havasarala. But it's going to be a very poignant moment way, way later down the series. Yeah. I'm pretty pumped about that. <laughs> <laughs> when you go, it's always fun when you go back and you watch something like a second time through, like with different eyes and you've, yeah, then you're catching all the stuff together. that you missed or glossed over. Yeah. Ah, there's so much to catch in this show. True. Because like you said, and they kind of weave in a bunch of the side books and whatnot while they're like actually doing the the storyline. How about you? What 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 takeaways did you see from it? Um, well, specifically with Miller's character, because I think he's just one of the more interesting characters in this whole thing. Uh, so cool. Know, yeah, Thomas he, Jane with Thomas Jane with that like nineteen ninety three haircut, <laughs> uh, skater punk haircut. It was it's it's great, um, and a fedora for no particular reason. But uh, yeah, so he he finds an encrypted memory storage device um, on the uh, the guy who's uh, going by the name Night Bandit. 
but then he finds out he's a data broker. And the yeah. idea that there is a guy who specializes in encrypting data and then literally storing it on your body store somewhere. Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. So it was like bringing that. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a Johnny Mnemonic type situation. And then you think about uh, people today and the transhumanist movement who inject uh, their Bitcoin keys and everything in a chip and underneath their skin. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this. It's kind of the same thing. I was like, oh, okay. I kind of see where they got that from. But it just make make the uh, the story a little bit uh, more interesting because now you have to, uh, you know, now you got a dead body on a slab, but you know he's got an encrypted memory storage device implanted in his leg. You know, it's really well. Funny. Well, what's really funny about that is that like so as sci fi and futuristic as the technology is, yeah, it's very some it would be basic in their in their world. <laughs> well, and the thing is is. It's so fucking just meat in there. Like, cause how does he get it out? He just stabs a fucking thing into his leg to rip it out. Right, right. <laughs> well, it's hilarious because, like, the, the thing that he stabs in there, it's like a one inch across, like, I don't even, like, it looks like a giant knitting needle. Yeah. That, like, quote unquote, targets the, uh, the item. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you just jam that the fuck in there. Like, isn't that just going to smash whatever you just stabbed it into? How is it targeting? Because <laughs> all you're doing is jiggling it around in a fucking hole in the dude's calf. Right, exactly. And you know that's going to hurt. <laughs> I, well, I mean, that's not going to feel good. <laughs> he's a corpse. We're, we're, at least we're there. Yeah. So, yeah, Miller is back on the, the Julie Mao tip. And the whole Julie Mao thing, I can't wait till like we actually get further along with that. I also want to point out to you that the fedora actually is perhaps more important than you're giving it credit for, too. At least at this point, you just kind of like, okay, well, that's kind of a strange thing to be wearing around. I mean, to be honest, I don't even think you'll really get, get I think that's another season four thing where they kind of use the fedora as a, as a cue for something. Oh, okay. Well, I got more to look forward to. Then. <laughs> um, well, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we got, we got messaged by, by Childerberg Jake last night. Yeah. And he, and he was, uh, he was bitching at us about Star Wars or Star, <laughs> Star Trek. It was really funny. I opened up that, uh, that Twitter thread and I was like, He's like, first of all, the level of hate against Star Wars. It's like, oh boy, here we go. Should, should I keep it? Should I keep it going? We can talk about Picard and just, <laughs> oh good god. Yeah, I've only watched the first episode of Picard so far, and uh, it, I'm I'm finding it a chore to to sit down and watch episode two. So, I mean, it is sheer fucking hubris <laughs> to, to think I should watch that show. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't help that one of the YouTubers that I watch, uh, binging with Babish, just recently did like a pizza episode that apparently was in the show. So I was like, okay, well, I got, I, I got that to look forward to. I do like binging with Babish. He's fun. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's, he's not my favorite cooking on the internet, but no, there are so good. many good ones. So many good ones. Actually, you know what I've been, I, I've been getting into lately. There's this guy Steve Wallace, and uh, I don't he, think I've heard just, of him. He's just a Canadian dude that like does camping. <laughs> and by camping, like he does, it does these weird, like quote unquote camping things where like he'll, he'll camp in a, in a van in like a, an airport parking lot. Oh no, I have seen this guy. He's like a, a bigger car camper than car camp it. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he does, but he, he, I mean, he does like actual, like he, what is it? The one episode I did watch last week where he just hops in a blow up kayak, right? Floats down a river and then just kind of like peels off somewhere in, in the woods and camps for the night. Like, it's just this really interesting camps. Like it's not just yeah. like going out and like hard nature. Although he sometimes does that. He'll test out like, it's almost more like testing equipment a lot of times. But ah, man, 
quite a YouTube only wants me to watch fucking shit put out by like all the the big networks. And meanwhile, there's guys <laughs> making sweet ass content like that. Yeah, stuff I would rather be seeing. Yeah. <laughs> and yet face or yet YouTube won't tell me about any of the content that I actually want to see. Yeah, exactly. It's uh I have to go hunting and pecking for the uh the machinist that has a very dry sense of humor that I like to watch too. So Ah, uh, good lord. Let's see here. I'm just trying to make sure cuz he said there wasn't a whole like while it was a, a normal length episode, it was more kind of jammed together on the action tip than it was on like yeah. any of the actual narrative. So I don't know how much more there actually was to the show. Yeah, the uh, the big takeaway was the Martian ship that took a lot of damage uh, was was being set upon by a railgun, which I thought was awesome. Oh, they're all about the railguns in the series. Yeah, like railgun, like on land, you know, you're sending an aluminum projectile at you know thousands of feet per second. And it almost seems like it goes like the speed of light, but in a vacuum, you got to understand that's going to go a hell of a lot faster. Um, there is actually a mo- like they, there's a moment in what the fuck is it? There's a moment in season four, there they actually use it to like propel the ship. Oh, the railgun to propel the ship? That that's an interesting idea. <laughs> I can't re- I can't remember <laughs> specifically like how they manage like what the whole like, concept is, which we haven't actually mentioned that that. This is supposedly one of like the most scientifically accurate science fiction shows out there. Yeah, I was uh, doing a little bit of side reading, and apparently they've got like a lot of um, like former astronauts and uh, physicists that kind of assist on the show and do uh, like have advisor credits. Yeah, which I find really cool because yeah. a lot of sh- like let's be honest, that's not something that Star Trek ever would have bothered with. No, like Gene Roddenberry back in the sixties is like we're just gonna take a guess. <laughs> I mean, this Ron, stuff would work. Well, the whole show, there's actually a really good episode of what the hell is it? I think it's the first season of Mike Rose podcast. Uh, the and the rest of the story, he was like his little take on um, Paul Harvey. Yeah, how I heard it. This is how I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he actually has an episode on Gene Roddenberry creating right. uh, Star Trek and essentially it was just a way for him to envision the military like the military life being all life. Yeah. You know, he, cause he, he missed his days in the military and thought like that you could run life that way and it would lead to better outcomes. Obviously how he managed to have like the most commie concept ever for Star yeah. Trek. <laughs> Pretty telling. <laughs> it, it is very telling. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's always, that's the thing I always lo- did like about Star Trek is that like, even when it would get heavy, it never lost like hope. That's very that's very true. We'll th- we'll throw Jake a bone. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and but that's that's to me why it's all the more frustrating with the new one because like it's the one thing that made Star Trek Star Trek, and they just throw it out. Right. I also enjoy like scantily clad green ladies like kissing uh, <laughs> kissing Captain Kirk on the lips and everything. It was so it's like so wild. I like, <laughs> I like scantily clad scantily clad any color ladies. I'm all yeah, that's that. very true. <laughs> <laughs> And even in the new J.J. Uh, Abrams movies, they played a little little lip service to that, where he's like hooking up with Uhura's uh, dorm buddy. Uh, can we hook up with like Uhura? Oh, oh, oh! I'm gonna make. Tell I'm gonna. That. I guess I'm gonna have to go upstairs and make Liz put on the outfit. <laughs> she just has an Uhura outfit just standing by. <laughs> well, what's hilarious is like, so while I'm doing this, Liz actually is a Trekkie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so Liz, Liz for a while was kind of. Playing around with the idea of joining the local Starfleet chapter. 
Yeah, I, I'm sorry. We shouldn't be referring to them as Trekkies. They prefer the term Trekkers. Oh, uh, no, they don't. Uh, a, they don't? Really? That, no, here's the changed? thing. No, it's not. The, they're actually different things. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Technically, Liz would be a Trekker. I got gotcha. you. Because, okay. because she follows the, the next generation and Picard and all that, whereas Trekkies are the people that actually follow the original series more. Oh, okay. I didn't know there was a distinction. <laughs> At least that's the way it's been explained to me. I am neither of these people, so I can't really say for sure. <laughs> well, I guess I'm more of a trekker then because I, I enjoy all of it uh, on certain occasions. Of course, because I enjoy all of it, I get to roast it often. <laughs> so the interesting thing to me and why I do love this is because, like we said, they, they try to nail the science, which is the key to like hard science fiction. Yeah. Like they, they're trying to see an actual – like use some reality – to see how things work out by following an idea to its logical conclusion, which, frankly, for you know libertarians, that's that's kind of our whole thing is just take your concept and follow it to its logical conclusion. Don't stop in the middle of it and say, "Oh, we're here," because that's not what the destination is going yeah, exactly. to be. Yeah, exactly. You have to you have to play it out, and that is the the one thing that this show does so fucking good is it it's it takes the concepts and it plays them out, whether it's science or whether it's philosophy, whether it's you know politics. And I love the way that it kind of shows just how small discrepancies in political ideology can be vast chasms. Because to you and I, we, we see very little difference between Mars and Earth as far as the governmental structure. Yeah, pretty much both uh, command and control type socialists essentially planned <laughs> everything. But to them, it's like it seems like they're worlds apart, literally and figuratively. Yeah, and it's... It's very, very, uh, very honest in the way that it does that. We haven't seen a whole lot. Oh, I did. I did forget something that does happen in this episode. I think we, we, is this the first time that we see the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints? Yes. Yes. This the, is where they actually introduce, uh, what's his name there? Uh, trying to find it. And it's like, yeah, there was a uh, Church of uh, Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints station manager. And leader of the OPA, Fred Johnson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Fred Johnson has like, he has a history with the, is it the Earther? The Earther Navy? Well, like he, he's the, well, he's the butcher of something, right? Yeah. Now, now I'm blanking on it. Yeah. You said it, it, now I'm blanking on it. (laughs) Yeah. He was, he was like the military leader during a horrible battle. Right. And killed lots and lots and lots of people for Earth. Um, I think he was, he officially let go. Or he maybe he resigned because of what he did. Yeah. And so he moved out to the belt and basically became a, a belter. Now, some belters accept him, some don't. That's a whole, whole nother can of worms that's going to continue playing out for the duration of the show. But this is the first time we actually see he runs the Tycho shipyard is essentially what he does. And currently they're building a ship for the Church of Latter-day Saints that is basically a giant cathedral. And it's designed to, it's got a hundred year mission, I think is what it is, that they're going to send their best and brightest out into space to try and repopulate another star, is the idea. Yeah, because Miller finds that out on a later episode, but um, yeah. We should should have Hody Johns on to talk about that at some point, because I I found out that he's more (laughs) the other day, and it amuses me. Um, Because there's some very interesting things about Mormonism, personally. And but what I like is the fact that so in everything that's going on, like you still have the freedom if you can go and get the capital to act outside the system. 
the Church of Latter-day Saints doesn't have to be involved with any of the governments other than, you know, to, I'm, I'm assuming, pay taxes and things like that as that's necessary. But they're taking their own wealth to try and find a way outside of the system to just kind of go and do their own thing. Yeah, it's, uh, they're just kind of left, left alone, which is kind of strange. You would think that anyone with um, this kind of capability of building a ship in a shipyard that's going to go out into the stars for 100 years you know, some government bureaucrat's going to want to oversee something, but it's just like, okay, yeah, we're just going to let the crazy Mormons do whatever they're going to do. Yeah, we'll get we'll get more into the, the weeds on all that far further down the road. All right, well, yeah, I think that really does exhaust most of what we, we got to see in this episode. So they were still doing a little, uh, a little character building. We got to see a, a moment between Amos and Naomi where Amos thanks Naomi for, you know, all the times that she saved him. Yeah. Which is an interesting moment. Especially, like he said, they, they kind of use Amos as just, like, the guy who's there to kill shit. That's literally <laughs> his, his job in the show. So it's, it's good getting to see him do something else. All right, well, you want to you wanna send us out with the technicals, all the, the, the information for the show? Yeah, this was uh, episode four, titled uh, CQB, and CQB stand- stands for Close Quarters Battle. Uh, usually, if you're in a CQB type situation, you're doing hand-to-hand combat. But I guess on a, a space mission, that's uh, you're going to get really in and close. Uh, it was directed by Naren Shankar, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, premiered December 29th, 2015, and it had a .633 rating, so about 600,000 uh, viewers. Uh, a little bit more so, on the director; he was kind of a television director. He did a lot of. Uh, CSI episodes, a couple of Farscape episodes, which is uh, another uh, series that we could probably take a look at, which is really fun. And a couple of Star Trek episodes as well for Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Yeah, I've never actually watched Farscape. It was always one that kind of interested me, though. Oh, yeah. It was like all Jim Henson puppets. Uh, It was was great. (laughs) Claudia Black. Claudia Black. I'm all about that now. Mm. (laughs) So, right on, boss. Well, uh, you have another interview to get to, so we won't belabor this today. Yep, that's very true. But, and then we'll, we'll come back uh, next week with uh, episode five. Yeah, we'll just keep putting them out. Like yep. I said, I, I like having the, co- the talks about it. Like this, it's, it's, a, it's a fun <laughs> thing to do. One of these days, maybe we'll have Jake on so that we can berate him to his face instead of just talking shit about him on the show. Yeah, very true. I, 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 I can only imagine that he would probably berate us more because <laughs> that little Twitter thread was going on quite a bit. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I had to scroll it, down it, it, a couple of times. Eventually, it becomes him just telling us more stuff to read. <laughs> yeah, I, that's usually how a Jake interview goes. It's just like, oh, I've got more reading assignments. <laughs> I I actually did go and pick up the audio book of the what he was talking about, so I'm pretty pumped oh, to sweet. get into that. So, All right, boss, you have yourself a good one. Take it easy, everybody. You too, Nick P. Peace.